Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the CISA Talk Podcast. I'm your host, James Azar. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's show. We've got a great one coming your way here in just a few moments. But before we do that, if you're tuning in for the very, very first time and you're tuning into the CISA Talk Podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, please give us a five-star review and share this show. Uh, That'll be extremely helpful to keep getting this message out of our program. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe, turn on the notification bell. I do a live show on either Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube, or all simultaneously seven to eight times a week, all around cybersecurity, privacy, and so forth. So you'll definitely want to turn on notifications. You'll want to follow us on social media, on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, We are on Twitter, um, although that's organic post. If you try to communicate with us on Twitter, we don't we don't really check that account, but we're there just from a posting perspective. But you can on LinkedIn, you can on YouTube, and you definitely can on our uh, Facebook page as well, all at CyberHub Podcast. I've got a great guest coming up, and this guest is just a preview into something we're going to be doing on St. Patrick's Day. My friends over at Wistic, who you just heard from a minute ago, and I are going to be hosting an awesome webinar on March 17th, the magnificent St. Patty's Day. Um, Great Meyer, Cliver, uh, Chris Roberts, and Nick Sorensen will be joining me. We're going to be talking about securing the supply chain, creating partnerships, and transparency with real solutions to it. We're going to be talking a little bit about it on today's show. So without further ado, let's get ready to kick off this week's CISO Talk podcast, folks. We'll be right back with Gray. From the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. All right, everyone, we're back. Gray Meyer Cleves is joining me, the CISO over at Hollard Insurance. Gray. Welcome from the land down under. Look, absolutely delighted to be here, James. Um, you know, the land down under right right now is nice and warm. It's sunny here in Brisbane today. It's about uh, heading towards 33 degrees with about 99.9% humidity, which is a, just another typical sweaty hot day here in Brisbane. <laughs> but um, 
absolutely delighted to uh, to join the show and I'm um, looking forward to this conversation today about uh, my role as a CISO and um, my career today. So I love that. So it's CISO in Australia. You're not the first to do that to me. Like, I know that when I do the other side of cyber with JJ, she'll be like, well, is it a CISO or a CISO? And I'm like, it's kind of like, it's it's Australian slang, right? Like, you know, I know better that if you tell me Aussie three times, say, I say, oi, oi, oi. Because if you say Aussie, 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 you're supposed to answer, oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. Absolutely. Yeah. Anywhere around the world, you can hear that chant. That's for sure. But, um, you know, it's like in IT. Is it a router or is it a router? Now, in Australia, it's mm. definitely a router. You definitely don't want to say the router because um, you're going to get a couple of funny looks. That's <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> I, I remember when I was in Australia and I'd say some words in, 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 in American English and people would look at me and be like, no, mate, like that doesn't make any sense. Like, for example, we here in America call firing up a grill a barbecue, but in mm-hmm. Australia, it's a barbie. Not the doll, it's a mm-hmm. Barbie. Absolutely. But not the doll. Because everyone would be like, hey, you want to go get some Barbie? And I'm like, I don't want a doll. What are you talking about? What's a Barbie? <laughs> what? I, I want to get food. And they're like, no, no, Barbie. And I'm like, what's Barbie? And they're like, you know, like on the grill. And I'm like, barbecue. And they go, well, we call it Barbie. Well, I'll tell you what, I think after the show, I might have to send you a copy of the Australian slang book just so uh, you know, the next time you travel on out, <laughs> you're, you're up to date with the with the slang because uh, quite, a, quite a few terms that are used over there in the US are actually considered to be profanity over here as well. So uh, that's why you might get some strange looks. Yeah, after three months in Australia a few years ago, I think I've, I've caught up to my Aussie slang. And now that I'm doing like a show in Australia every week, my Aussie mm-hmm. slang is getting much, much better. Well, that, that's great to hear. And um, anyway, you'll have to pull me up during this show if I use a bit of slang because I know it can also go the other way. There's a few slang words here that just don't go down so well over in the US every time I've been traveling anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So CISA Talk is international this week, folks. Um, great. Tell us a little bit about your journey into cybersecurity. How would you get started? What was that like for you? Yeah, well, look, I, um, I, I started my journey um, in cybersecurity back in 1993 when I um, joined the Australian Army to study electronics and communication systems. So I spent my, um, my first two years there, um, you know, doing training. I signed up to the deal that said, hey, come and join the Army, have fun, we'll pay you to learn. What I learned is um, that meant a um, really tough first two years trying to pack four years worth of study into two and at the same time do all your military training. I... Um, from there, I went and joined um, what's called the Corps of Signals in Australia, which um, and they're responsible for all the telecommunications and uh, and signals um, within the Australian Army. And my my first posting, um, which was quite exciting, was up here in um, in Brisbane, and um, I joined a unit that was responsible for all the uh, secure telecommunications for the Australian Defence Force, and um, it was. Absolutely a fantastic unit to join because, um, you know, we're working with all that cool technology that I you, you get to see on, um, you know, some of the shows um, on television and some of those movies. And, um, you know, it was a it was a highly secure environment, but I um, I had a little bit of a reputation when I joined. And that, and that was because um, whilst I was studying electronic and communication system, I um, 
had actually found a whole lot of vulnerabilities in um, a, a newly deployed, deployed network. And of course, um, of course, that's on my file, right? So um, when I marched into this unit, everything in the military, of course, is, um, is all documented and on a nice file. And um, they said, hey, we can see that you've got quite a lot of skills in, um, in computing. And, um, you know, you've, you've done what looks like a, a little bit of hacking to, 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 to demonstrate some of your skills. And, um, and for my sins, they made me the um, assistant information security officer in that unit. And really, you know, that's where um, my journey of, um, you know, cybersecurity began. So um, ever since I left the military, um, coming up close to the year 2000, I've worked in a number of different um, companies and industries. I've done a blend of um, consulting work. I um, even went over to the dark side and worked for, for a vendor for a couple of years and, you um, you know, uh, a whole lot of roles in, um, in, in, I guess, you know, um, more recently in the last 10 years as, as a CISO for um, quite a few different companies. But, you know, predominantly my, um, my background's engineering. Um, I love security. I've started down there in the, in the technical side, you know, the, the dark old days of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, technologies that um, right now a lot of people wouldn't even hear about. But, um, you know, my first computer that I owned was an Amiga, but the first computer I played with was a Micro B. Um, the first computer I pro programmed on was a, an Apple IIe. Um, and um, then I had an Amiga 500. And for those of you who don't quite remember, there were three different chips. There was the Fat Agnes, there was the Denise, and there was Mary, right? So that, that's, uh, that's my technical background there, and I'll always forget to remember that. But, um, yeah, so my journey to CISO, I mean, every time I look back, I go, oh, my goodness, I've, I've spent a lot of time now in security, but um, I will say I've loved the entire journey. I love that. I love that background. I love that story um, of having a diverse background into that role because it just shows so much about the various set of skills people need to get into security. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know what? It, it certainly has been a journey. I mean, in, in that time, I, um, you know, like I mentioned, I started in a very technical background, but but about, um, you know, sort of, I guess you could say mid in my career to date, which was kind of the mid 2000s, I thought to myself, you know what, I've got to learn more about the business side as well. So, you know, I embarked on an MBA and and when I did an MBA, I, I didn't do it to, um, you know, basically get another qualification and some letters after my name. I did it because I really wanted to learn a lot more that was not so much about the technical side, but to, to understand other areas. So I, ironically, I absolutely love doing um, subjects like marketing and communications in amongst there and just getting exposed to, you know, learning about other types of content that wasn't just purely technical. Now, of course, I was doing all your um, vendor certifications at the time. I, I've been a CISSP for, you know, quite a long time. In fact, I did, you know, the first exam that was ever run in Australia, which cost us a fortune to, to, to bring the folks out here so that they could run the exam. But, um, you know, really, I've, I've tried to balance, um, you know, between, you know, technical training and learning there, but then also learning other skills over that time. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's, uh, uh, I love the fact that you said you're doing an, you did an MBA to learn the business side. I think that's one of the, um, it's one of the things we constantly talk about in security and a lot of the, you know, CISO conversations or CISO conversations is the idea of um, you got to understand the business in order 
to understand how to properly build relationships and in order to be able to do your job properly. And if you don't do that, you're, you're, you're likely setting yourself up to fail, um, which is, which is significant. Um, Gray, let's talk a little bit about leadership and let's talk about team building. So Australia is infamously, um, your prime minister has been very active in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm, extremely mm-hmm. active in july of last year he did a press conference where he kind of came out and said we are under attack by an unnamed nation state <laughs> um and then and then two weeks later um australia addressed that with a bill and now they have 1.3 billion dollars allocated just this last week um to workforce development and cybersecurity and it in 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 australia so um What's the challenge of getting into cybersecurity and you hiring people in your team in Australia? What's some of the skills you look for and what are some of the challenges you're currently experiencing? Mm. Look, I think um, one of the biggest challenges that that I'm seeing is that um, we're not getting enough young people to actually go and study IT. So when when you look at the stats over here, you, you would expect that um, you know, our universities and colleges that um, do offer, you know, IT courses would actually be getting a lot more enrolments. So what concerns me a lot at the moment is really that pipeline of new people into the industry. Okay, so, um, you know, I'm not quite sure why people aren't choosing IT as a career. Um, you know, regardless of, you know, sex, um, race, culture, religion. Mm -hmm. We're just not for some reason attracting people to it. Now, I don't know whether that's because technology is so immersive these days and, um, you know, the kids of today are are using technology, you know, pretty well, um, you know, from being a few months old, you see people on iPads these days. But we're just not kind of attracting that. But I will say, though, that the... um, you know, the education system in Australia, the universities and um, and the colleges are offering, you know, subjects in cybersecurity. It's definitely a focus area. So within the IT stream or the people that are undertaking it, you are starting to see those skills developed. But what I look for um, at the moment when I'm, when I'm hiring is that I'm looking for people who've got the right attitude. I've got, I'm looking for people that are, very much looking to solve problems, wanting to make a contribution, um, people that are willing to um, basically do the research, do some of the hard work. And, you know, so far I've found that if you're willing to take on people and put the effort into teaching them, um, into coaching them and developing them, then you can find great people. Now, it is challenging at the moment that if you want to go and find somebody with a lot of experience, they can generally cost a lot of money out there in the market. Um, So I think really that the focus for me at the moment is actually developing people. Now, some people say, hey, Gray, why do you want to develop people? Because you know what? You can train people, um, you get them all going, and then they might leave. They might leave for more money. They might leave for a promotion you know, other opportunities that that come up. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's the right thing to do for the industry. Um, You can't look at it like that. I think with people these days, you've got to put that investment. It's just like when I was in the Australian Army. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, there's 
you know, um, something like a thousand people a year that will go through the recruiting system and there's that constant turnover, you really, at the end of the day, sometimes you've just got to make that investment in the training. But what I'm looking for the most when I hire someone is just that right attitude. Someone that I know is going to come in and actually make a real difference working in the team. Yeah. Isn't attitude everything? Like I've interviewed people who, who, you know, didn't have a college degree, Mm -hmm. but had the curiosity, the passion and the attitude to be great. Some of my best people don't, don't come from college. Don't some of them. I've got one guy who I won't mention his name unless he Mm -hmm. gives me the okay. Um, But he never finished high school. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. He got and, a GED, which is kind of like here. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a kind of like a, a, after you finish, if you don't finish high school and you know, you drop out, you go into the workforce and then after a while you go in and you take a test and it's kind of like an equivalence to a diploma, to a high school diploma. And absolutely. so he's got yeah. a GED comes from a very rough background but I remember my interview with this kid and I call him a kid. Um, but we're, 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 we're <laughs> he's not that much. Uh, he's not that much younger than I am. And um, he had passion. He had curiosity. Mm. And one thing I do, like I do my job interviews a little different, Gray. I don't know about you, but I do. I don't like to do the job interview kind of like, you know, questionnaire and ask questions. So, I let people know that wear comfortable shoes. We're going to go for a walk and mm-hmm. we're going to, um, there's a coffee shop not far from where our office is. It's about a five, seven minute walk. So I say, you're going to come in. We're going to go grab a cup of coffee. We're going to come back and we're going to sit in my office and in my office, I have a you know, I have a couch and a, and, and, and a few chairs. And so we'll sit there and have a conversation. Mm. And it's very interesting because I learn more in the seven, five to seven minutes walking and coming back from the coffee shop than I do in the entire time we sit down and drink our coffee. Well, you know what? That's a that's a fantastic bit of advice, and I um I might just even try that. But um, you know what I, you know what what I like about what you say is you know is is that you know finding that connection with people and um. You know, you're you're right. The traditional style of interview can be quite tough, and um, you know, generally when I'm hiring, some of the follow-ups will be sort of you know go and do the coffee shop, um, you know, sort of sit down a bit more casual and relaxed, and and, and get to know people. Um, but 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 you know what? You know, same thing. It's it's looking for that right attitude. You know, people who are interested, and and sometimes um, you know, to you to you to the point here is that. Um, not everybody's been able to afford to go to, to university or college or, or, or things like that, but it doesn't mean that they haven't got the right skills to become one of your best people. And you know what, in my experience as well is um, the best people that I've had in my teams have been the ones that we've developed from the ground up and they've come from all sorts of backgrounds Um and they've also um, come from all different sort of, I guess you could say, qualification sets before they joined as well. So, yeah, attitude attitude is king, right, when it, when it comes to it. Attitude right is now, even in my team, Yeah, I've got some fantastic people in my team. We just recently had someone who, you know, came into, uh, into the team that had been working on um, in our service desk. Right, and service desk can be a it can be a great breeding ground for talent in any organisation. Right, you've got people that come in, they work in a high pressure area, they have to learn, you know, a lot of things really quickly. 
Um, and you can spot some absolute talent there because you you quickly see people who've just got that right attitude, you know, the people that are there to help the customer, the people that are there to, to solve problems. Um, and they're usually keen to move into something else. And that's another area that I always look at is, you know, those people who are on your front line in your organisation that are taking the calls there, they can be absolute gems to, to bring over into the team. Yeah, I, I could see that. Let's talk a little bit about what we need to do as leaders, as CISOs. What are some mm-hmm. of the qualities we need to have to really effectively lead a team? Yeah, look, I, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, even myself over over time, it's it, it, it's been a, a journey. I think, you know, as a as a leader, you know, over time, and you know, depending on your um, level of seniority in the organisation, the type of leadership skills that you are going to need are are going to vary. Right, um, it's very different when you're a team lead down on the ground compared to to being a sizo. But one, one of the things that I've um, worked on developing because, you know, um, everyone here, I, I think one of the things I can always say is that you're not just born with leadership skills, right? Um, you know, the, these are things that you work on and over time you can even work on changing your style and, um, you know, how you're perceived and even how you feel as a leader. But um, for, for me, it's about coaching and, and being a mentor for the folks out there you know I see my role as the sizer when I'm talking about um, you know the team that that is around me and that can include people who are I guess your reports or direct reports or people who might be in your tower of the cybersecurity section within an IT or any other part of the organization but I like to see myself and try and work really hard at being that coach and mentor you know just the other day I've been um you know, doing some stuff with forms in Microsoft Office and uh, using Power Automate and all that sort of features now. doesn't matter what the platform is. I'm not trying to give any vendor a plug here or anything like that, but there's some stuff that I picked up and learned. And I spent an hour with the team showing them some of the things that I put together there to make it more efficient. And I just see it as as my role to share that information. Um, I also see it as a role to... Um, you know, for example, um, you know, if there's some presentations that need to be done, I um, like to grab people in the team and help them to develop, you know, get them to actually do the presentation. It's not about me going up there and doing every presentation to do with security across the business. Grab your people, help them, coach them, mentor them, you know, help them develop a career. So, you know, skills development for me is such an important area as well. So really, I, I, I absolutely love it. I, I, I love seeing people um, that work for me grow and learn. You know, um, last year, I we had a team member who'd um, learn a technology, had just a great attitude, um, became really, really good at a certain technology because just this person had an, just such an enthusiasm to suck up all the information and knowledge around him and you know I spent a lot of time coaching and and this person got an offer from another organization to go there and um, you know what a lot of people are then sad to lose such a good person and and admittedly I was but I was also very proud to see that you know someone in the team was you know getting to move somewhere somewhere else and gain some more experience so, you know, then it's great on LinkedIn and all that type of thing to be able to see those people over time and go, wow, you know, I've got guys that um, and girls that were um, 
that were graduates working for me back in the early 2000s. And some of those folks now are CISOs, um, you know, or heads of security and, and, you know, one or two have even become CIOs and, and things like that. And I just look at that and I just go, that's fantastic. You know, great yeah. to see that I help these people, um, you know, on their journey as well. I applaud you for that. That is a, um, that is a very leader thing to say. Most people I speak with, um, when I'm interviewing, you know, I just um, interviewed several people for regional CISOs in our organizations, for regional CISOs, or, um, and, and people who are VP roles. And when I ask them, why are you leaving? Um, that's, I, I'm not going to go down the, the reasons and the stuff they say, but some of the stuff they share with me, I, I consider it to be horror stories of just faulty leadership, right? Of losing very look, I'd rather lose very good people by being a very good leader than keep very good people by being a very bad leader because you're not going to keep them for long. People tend, even if someone very good, will think five times over before leaving you. He'll probably do five or six job interviews and get three, four offers and probably reject most of them because he want, he still feels like he can gain value by working with you. And I think that's what you just brought up. It's it's that that's kind of your leadership style and and I adore that. I wish more people had that. That's that's brilliant. And it, and it is worth mentioning too though. As a size though, there's there's times when you have to use different styles of leadership, right? Right. So you, you know, it's it, it's great when you're doing that coaching style, you know, you're doing affiliative style of leadership, but you know, I'm, you know, when there's a major incident coming on, you are going to have to use that directive type styles or or some very different styles. So, you know, I think an important thing, James, here is that as a CISO, you need to be able to uh, adapt um, different styles at different times and also sometimes at a different cycle in the organisation too. Let's just say, you know, a couple of times in my career I've joined organisations, I've done everything from, um, you know, a greenfield um you know, SISO type role with a company that had just been established and was doing a major project. And really it was a hustle and bustle type environment. There was lots of construction going on and there was just a certain style um, in the organisation at the time. And it did involve a lot of directive style um, that, that was necessary because quite frankly, you're working on very tight timeframes. Um, there was big budgets in place and very much it was about getting some certain things done. Um, and it's like a cybersecurity incident too, you know, um, you know, for all the CISOs out there and everyone in security and when those incidents come come up, you know, you walk in for the day, you sit down, you're having your cup of coffee, you might be in a meeting and the next thing the phone rings and um, unfortunately there's an incident and there's a, a big issue to deal with. It's that you're going to sometimes have to switch your style um, into a very different mode so that you can move through that incident or crisis or event that's occurring um, and and even potentially change your style during that event as well. Because once emotion starts running high um, in any organisation, then as a CISO, you're going to have to be ready to use those tool sets. So, yeah, that would be my other little bit of advice is spend some time working on that. You know, read some books out there and learn about different styles. Do some self-assessment as well. You know, if I can make one recommendation is if your company or organisation doesn't have leadership development programs that involve assessing your leadership styles, then go and find those tools on the internet and do some self-assessments and learn more about yourself and particularly how other people perceive you versus how you perceive yourself. Yeah. 
I, I love that. That's such a good piece of advice. Before we move on, though, mm. um, your insight here has been amazing. And on March 17th, our friends over at Wistic, you, myself, Chris Roberts, Nick mm. Sorensen, the CEO over at Wistic, we're going to be talking about securing the supply chain mm. and a little bit about that. So that's going to be an awesome webinar on March 17th. Um, I guess I'll ask you one question, though. When you when you think of don't give it all away now though great all right we've got to have people actually sign up and attend the webinar we can't give it all away now I, um, I'm ex military I'm good at keeping secrets right? excellent so we know not to torture you um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I prefer not to be waterboarded during the session no no <laughs> <laughs> um, how difficult is it. And and what's what what do you think in your opinion is the biggest challenge in securing your supply chain today? You know what it's it it's still the complexity of the supply chain, right? It, it it's you know particularly when you get into those SaaS type services, right? You 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 are signing up to a SaaS service, but sitting behind the SaaS service is sometimes another SaaS service or multiple SaaS services, multiple different infrastructure platforms that can be a mix of on-premises, different types of cloud models. Like really, the complexity that's out there in in, in the way that we do IT. Um, honest, honestly, if you look at it from a technical point of view, sometimes it, it, it could probably do your head in and put you in a um, a, a small cozy room in a mental asylum, right? But you, you've got to sometimes just break that down and go, okay, well, what are we trying to achieve here and what's this value? But you know what? We, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But you know what? Our supply chains are just enormously complex. Um, you know, even if you look at manufacturing right now, is, is look, at, look at the impact that, um, you know, COVID-19's had around the world, especially with chip manufacturing and, the you know, the big issues that are happening right now around, um, you know, small types of chips that are needed to manufacture cars and military equipment and medical technology. And, and you know, it just goes to show that we've, we've moved into that just-in-time world for manufacturing. And guess what? We've done exactly the same thing in IT. It's become just-in-time IT almost. You know what? I'm going to break out the credit card, or I'm going to sign a contract, and I'm going to sign up to a SaaS provider to help solve a business problem right now. Behind that is an incredibly complex supply chain, and for us as um, security professionals, is we've got to help our businesses manage that risk. And we see it time and time again. Where are all the data breaches mostly occurring around supply chain? Where are the bad guys targeting supply chain? Of course, they are. This isn't a new topic. I mean, um, you know, supply chains being targeted or people involved in that supply chain have been targeted for decades and decades. I mean, um, you know, James, you mentioned earlier on, you know, the investment, um, you know, in Australia in, in cybersecurity and, you know, a big part of the, the billion dollars plus that the Prime Minister um, announced is is developing skills and, and other areas. But, um you know, a big part of this and a big part of that strategy as well is looking at the whole of industry and what roles different parts of the industry play in cyber. And they're all part of that supply chain as well. So a supply chain at the end of the, the day, whether it's upstream or downstream, the whole part of it, it becomes important because if you're the bad folks, they're going to target the weakest link. So it's great if you're on the end of the supply chain and you're nice and strong, but at the other end, you're not. Hey, it's game over real quick. 
We are. Vendor risk assessments are a thing, and it's a very challenging one because it's really um, – we'll, we'll talk about that a lot more in the webinar. The sign-up link for those listening or watching is right below in the show notes. So if you're watching us on YouTube, it's right below. If you're listening on your favorite podcast listening platform, just expand the show notes. You'll see a link right there to sign up for the webinar. Make sure to do so right now. Um, we are going to be limited in spots, and we do have a $50 gift card for the person wearing the best Irish gear on the <laughs> webinar. So come supporting your best Irish brogue, and we'll get that all set. Uh, and I'm going to share some great little tips um, in amongst that as a sizo, some real tips around um, you know, some techniques that I'm using around the uh, the supply chain there that, um, you know, ho hopefully uh, will will be of some good value, um, you know, down here in little old Oz. Yeah, this, is, this isn't one of those uh, webinars where people are going to get bored with a problem. We're get quickly getting into solutions on this webinar, so you'll want to be a part of it. Make sure to register. So let's talk a little bit more about security, Greg. Mm -hmm. Um where do you spend the most time now? What part of cybersecurity do you spend the most time on today? Well, I actually spend most of my time around the um, the education and awareness. I, I I still think that um, you know we've all used the model around people, process, technology, right? Right. We we talk about that a lot. We've been talking about that in IT for for. 20 plus years more than I can remember is people process technologies been there and you know coming from a technical background um, I spent a good part of my career down there in um, you know the bowels of technology right I started in firewalls and all that sort of stuff and I know my ports and I know my protocols and I know my rule sets and and all that type of stuff now, of course, the modern CISO um, hopefully doesn't have to jump onto the old console there and configure firewall rules these days. But um, certainly what um, what is important is I spend a lot of my time around education, awareness and training. I consider every meeting that I'm doing an opportunity to educate myself and make myself more aware of what's going on in different parts of our business. But at the same time, I'm there to represent cybersecurity. I'm there to help everybody and helping them not just at an organizational level, but a personal level. So to give you an example is um, I put up um, news posts. I try to make sure that we've got a really strong intranet site within our organization. And I've done that several times in the past over my career as well. Um, and I try to keep everyone as informed as possible using different sort of methodologies and or, or different communication mediums that are that are available within the company. But really, you know what? I love doing it as well. I, I, I love spending time training people, making them more aware about the different issues we face personally um, and then also within the workplace as well. Um, so I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and that's what I try and do is, is spend more time out in amongst our business um, and but also at the same time, you've got to spend your own time within the IT shop as well, doing exactly those same sort of things. Yeah, yeah. The the, the IT shop is is you know most CISOs today spend less time on technology mm. and more time on relationships, and it kind of makes the it kind of makes the case for the office of the CISO, right? Um, mm. Which is. Cybersecurity is just not siloed under IT anymore. It's a business function. 
And as a business function, it requires a diverse set of skills, a diverse set of knowledge, a diverse workforce. And it requires the CISO to be able to oversee it. It's almost like, um, you know, the, uh, the uh, role of a president or prime minister. You know, you don't, you, when, when, you know, world leaders meet, people think those world leaders are talking about something important, but they're probably talking about what suit they're wearing, what food they like to eat, what was the restaurant, you know, what was the best food they had or, or they're gossiping. Because all the stuff that's getting done is getting done by the teams prepping for those two people to meet. And the role of the CISO is becoming more and more of, I need to go shake hands and develop these personal relationships, break down barriers, than I do sitting on the negotiating table working out policy issues. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, 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 other, the other bit of advice I'd give in there as well is that, um, you know, I, I, I do very few presentations for, for, for conferences or, or you, you know, get involved even in, um, you know, things like we're doing today with this podcast. Um, I'm doing this because what I do like about SISO Talk is, you know, these frank open conversations um, and, you know, the fact that it's, you know, not so much driven around some sort of vendor technology or sale. Um I, I've seen out there, and I know this is going to sound slightly critical, but some CISOs probably spend too much time talking outside of their organisation, not enough talking within it, right? Because at the end of the day, the way I look at it is the people who pay my wage are actually, um, you know, is the company. It's my job to 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 make the business that I work for more resilient um, and to be able to protect themselves from those cyber threats. And so the focus... Of, of your time as a CISO ha, ha, has got to be more inward um, than outward. Now, of course, if you're a CISO working for an organisation that wants you to be very outbound um, in your communication to, to promote their business, then, then that's con- completely understandable as a role. But, you know, I, I, I probably get about two or three requests to go and speak at conferences e- every day. Um, but I'll only choose the things that are going to help represent our industry um, and are going to help develop our industry further. Um, no, not so much around, you know, sort of showcasing yourself or, you know, um, sort of other angles there. I hope that kind of makes sense. I mean, it does. You know, we, no. all have, we all have our different roles, but you know what? I try to make sure that, um, you know, cybersecurity has got a great brand within your own organisation. You know, I always use this this analogy, right? If you're in a bar and you sat down and there's two people next to you and they're from your organization and they're talking about the cybersecurity team, what do you want them to hear? What do you want to hear them say? Would you love to hear them sitting there going, mm, cybersecurity, gosh, we can't do anything in our company. You can't even use a USB stick, right? I can't even do my presentations. You know, do you want to hear them griping about your cybersecurity team? Or do you want to hear them sitting down at, at the bar going, wow, our cyber team, they're rock stars? You know, which one do you want to hear? And that, and that's what I say to my teams all the time. At the bar, what conversation do you want to overhear? I, I think that's such a um, an, an excellent perspective, Gray. That's a really fascinating perspective, which I haven't thought of before. When you're sitting at, like, I worry a lot about how our security program is perceived internally. And I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time. People say, James, how do you do your role? when you're doing eight, nine podcasts a week. And I go, I spend a lot of time internal. 
Um, I'll tell you a really funny story. I say it almost on every show, but I do these. Um, I did a show a few hours ago on LinkedIn um, w- with my friends Renee and Chris called CISO Thursdays. And it's, it's, it's part of the Breaking into Cybersecurity family of podcasts. And um, we, um, someone asked me a question and they go like, I was like, I don't even know all of the vendors that we work with. I don't know all of my vendors. I don't know all of my security vendors. I go, I don't even know what SIM we use in our sock. I go, I yeah. don't care. I don't care. That's the least of my concerns. You know why? Because I have a competent team in the sock. I've got mm-hmm. a competent manager in the, my sock. I don't need to lose sleep over that. If they have a problem, they'll bring up that problem at our at our daily stand-up call and we'll address it. And that's fantastic because, you know, that's a high-performing team where the trust is all established and, you know, that's a great place to be as a CISO, right? You can't work without trust, right? You can't. Exactly. You can't, right? So so let's, let's start with, with that. And number two, I need to spend my time across our entire organization. I need mm. to go talk to business operations. I need to talk to legal and compliance right? I need to be with the IT team. I need to understand DevOps, engineering. Um, I need to sit with the CFO. I need to understand what are our business goals? What are some of the things we're investing money on? I have a weekly meeting with our CFO. Weekly. It's 30 minutes. It's 30 minutes. And only thing we talk about is where are we investing the most money? What Portions of the business are driving the most revenue. And that way I get an overview of what our focus is. So then when I'm speaking to those business leaders, I now understand that they're getting a big piece of the budget. They're getting more money to do something. So now I'm like, how can I help you do this and stand by your goals? Meaning, when are we expecting you to have this development done by? Mm. Okay, so how do we make sure that we're doing security by design and not security as an audit. Exactly, exactly. And, and and you know what? It's a, it's a really good feeling in your organization. And you you, you know, as a sizer, you've made the impact is that when the business is supporting you with the budget that you need um, and trusting you to go and um, use that budget in the right ways, um, and and really not having the pencil out trying to trying to cut that down all the time. I mean, you know, we, we talk in cybersecurity all the time about, you know, fighting for budget. And I mean, you know, every part of the business, no matter where you are, is all fighting for budget, right? That that's that that's just the way business works, right? So don't don't think security is unique and don't 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 play the victim mentality around there. Um, but you know what? When you when you earn the trust of your business, um, they will give you what you ask for, but you will be expected to deliver for that too and continue to deliver value. So, you know, and unfortunately um, for us is they're not going to understand when you walk in and you're talking about some complex technology. But if you have marketed security well and they trust what you're doing, um, you shouldn't be there talking about, you know, all the technology and some of the bits and pieces that sit underneath there. You've got to talk to them about, you know, the importance and and how it's going to benefit the business overall. Now, I mean, data breaches and all this sort of thing that have happened over the year and the publicity of security and the media has certainly made cybersecurity a boardroom topic, right? But, um, you know, and boards will ask, are we doing enough? Um, 
what's our spending like compared to other other parts of the industry? How do we benchmark ourselves, right? We get all of those typical questions and they're all good questions. And some of those are good measures. But I tell you what, if you get your board talking to you um, quite differently, um, then you're at a, at a place where you've earned the trust and they know that cybersecurity has a plan um, that you are delivering on what you need. And it's certainly going to break those those walls down. So if I can give one piece of advice, spend as much time as you can internally in your organisation representing security, but representing their business using security. That's that's phenomenal advice. Phenomenal advice. So let's let's for a second let's talk about from your point of view. Mm. Is there a security challenge? we've really overcome that used to be a really kind of pain point. And now we're at the point where, you know, we've kind of got this under control. There's enough stuff out there to really help you reduce the risk to a point where it becomes manageable for the business. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm going to actually call out um, um, cybersecurity awareness. Um, I, I, I think there's, fantastic resource that's been shared in that space um you know cybersecurity awareness i think is is an area and the and the people problem that there's a lot of tools available to us there's a lot of information um available there's a lot of different techniques that you can use for awareness in your organization I think that they're all there. I think we've nailed it. And I do think some organisations out there have nailed it. And I think some CISOs have, have absolutely nailed it as well. Um, the question is, is, you know, as a CISO, are you still stuck down in that technology? Have you lifted yourself out to realise that, you know, the people part of the problem? I mean, people at the end of the day, to me, are always the weakest link. But they can also be your strongest link. So, you know, we can't, we, we sometimes can't blame a person for clicking on a link if we didn't give them the skills, the knowledge and the expertise to become more resilient um, and not click on that link. And also, I mean, that technology still does play a role. We know that because some of the sophistication in these sorts of attacks makes, you know, we've all seen the great phishing emails that, you know, will we'll even get the best cybersecurity professional. But even then, the training and awareness is if you do that to, you know, call your service desk or go through some of those different processes. So I just think that we've got everything that we need for awareness and education out there. It's time for us to make sure we use that full kit bag, okay? We've got to make sure as CISOs that we spend a lot of time with all of our people in our organisations around that. And I think we need to do more in consumers um, space uh, as well as education in schools. And what I mean by that, too, is that, you know, in, in our schools at the moment, we, we, we teach our children a lot about bullying and harassment and, 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 and some of the re really scary parts of social media and things like that. But at the same time, very rare to see a program that teaches people with the skills to protect themselves in the first place. And what I mean is nobody's teaching children that they should probably use a password manager to store their passwords and have a different password for every site and not even know them by using a password manager and enable your multi-factor authentication and all of those things that we tell our business folks to do all the time. But we haven't extended that kit bag end to end. 
So I think we as an industry to have a lot more to do in that space. Because you know what? Having some of those good things in um, in place, that actually cures the cancer rather than trying to cut it out at the end once the bullying or the harassment or the you know, the the pictures off your phone got leaked because you didn't have a pin number on there and then your best friend went and sent it to the whole school and now, now you know, there's all sorts of other problems, right? So we've got to spend more. We've got the tools available. We as people know how to do that stuff. We should use it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that assessment. That yeah. is, um, th- you know, when you talk about the lack of the workforce earlier, right, of young kids not getting into IT work, well, that starts with the idea of getting people interested in in STEM, right? And 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 so one of the very interesting st- statistics I looked at recently was cybersecurity has a bad rep, and I'll explain what that is. Culturally, cybersecurity has a reputation problem, mm-hmm. and in order to win the war, we need to win the culture. Yes. So I'll give you a prime example. Before Big Bang Theory, the TV show, the interest by young teenagers in science was barely 20%. Mm. Now it's at 48%. So 28% increase or almost double the interest, a little over than double the interest after Mm. Big Bang Theory. Because Big Bang Theory brought culture. And it brought very smart, funny, close-knit group of people who were kind of geeks, but mm-hmm. also very cool geeks that you could relate to because, you know, you you brought it up earlier. You said, I went to the dark side, right? And if you're not a Star Wars guy, you would never understand what the dark side is, <laughs> right? You'd Absolutely. be like, why, why do you call the vendor side the dark side? And you're like, well, because we need them. We just don't always like them. That's right. Right? That- like, you know, th- th- there's there's this terminology aspect, and I think one of the things I've been working on from a from a from the podcasting perspective is how do we start to impact cybersecurity culture away from hoodies and hackers um, is a bad word. Hacker is not a bad word. Hacker to me is a good word. A cyber criminal is a bad word. When you describe an incident and you say hackers, I'll probably never respect you again. But if you say cyber criminals, you get it. There's a few journalists who get this and there's others who I have to email them and be like, please change your headline from hackers to cyber criminals because you're insulting hackers. Absolutely. And, and it's a bit like, um, look, some of the, some of this, you, you know, I always love the, you know, images, everything tagline. Right. And, um, you know, we don't need to send that to the graveyard, but um, we, we can, I'll give you an example. Most of the marketing material around security shows these, operation centers with lots of screens and all that sort of stuff and you know to the techie in some of us that looks cool right i'm going to build myself an operation center i'm going to put up the screens and and all of that but you know what sometimes that's making people not want to join you there's people that are sitting there thinking oh cyber security must be only a role where i sit down in front of a screen looking at this data all day with a hoodie on right and um, to protect my organization you know, that's one part of the cybersecurity team, right? So in a very a small part to do that, we've already just stereotyped security that everyone's just sitting behind this screen looking at all this data on there, right? And that's so, not what cyber's just about. It's part of it. 
I have a hoodie that says not a hacker. <laughs> Love it. Right. And um, I've got a hat and I've got all kinds of really cool stuff that I typically wear for a black hat in Vegas every year. Hey. And one of the one of the greatest things that um, uh, from a cultural perspective that I think we have to fight is not only the terminology, but also the idea that it's cool to be in cyber and that cyber is more than just stopping a nuclear bomb a minute before it goes off in Manhattan or in Sydney Harbor or anywhere else, right? Like that is not what cyber is. Definitely. Cyber cyber is a um, video game in the fact that you're going to get killed multiple times, but you're going to get a second chance at it to go back and try to finish the level. And mm-hmm. I think that's one way when I speak to um, um, kids in middle school is I go a career inside. How many of you guys play video games? Every hand goes up, every hand goes up. I've never been in a room where no hand, one hand stayed down boy, girl, I don't care. All the hands go up. We all play video games. I go, how many of you guys play like Grand Theft Auto or, or, you know, Fortnite or, or Fortnite or, or anything like that. And hands stay up and I go, you know how you die in the game to go. Yeah. And I go, what happens? They go, we'll get a new life. And I go, well, that's cybersecurity. You're, you're in, you're in an environment where you're going to lose more times than you win. It's just the bottom line. Cause the other side's only got to be right once. You have to be right every single time, and that's just statistically impossible. So your goal is to get killed so far ahead that when it does happen, you can quickly come back to life. So the more advanced you are, the less lethal the kill is. Mm-hmm. And you right. know what? We've got to make cybersecurity sexy. Well, it is. I think cybersecurity is super sexy. So too, right? Um, But I mean, I geek out to this stuff. (laughs) Exactly. But you know what? It actually is. But we've got to do a better job of letting other people know that it is actually sexy. But that's but that's the culture thing. Yeah, that's the culture thing. It is. It is. The people who join us, they don't leave. People stay in cybersecurity for a long time. Yeah, cyber burnout though is a real thing. I will oh, say that, but 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 I think yeah. that's a whole different conversation, and I think that has yeah. less to do with the with the work and more to do with bad leadership. Um, definitely, definitely. But you know what? It, 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 it is a great career option. It is. It's a magnificent. I, I love what I do, and you know, yeah, you're right. Burnout is a real thing, and you know, I'd love you know in the future. Let's have a good conversation around that, right? The postman I, is burnt out too. Oh yeah, yeah. So is the lawyer. So is the mm-hmm. judge. So is the policeman or woman. Exactly. Burnout is real in every career. Mm. Absolutely. Every profession, every type of career. Yep. And we as people have got to be more resilient. And that's a great topic for us to pick up. I'd love to talk about that in the future. Yeah, I, I'd love to do that. We can we can talk about that, definitely. I think that's a, that's a magnificent topic. We're now going to my best and favorite part of the podcast, now we get to know a little bit more about you, Gray, as a human being, because you know what? You're not just a CISO. Absolutely. You're a human being. Mm-hmm. And you're in Australia. Yes, your toilet's flush backwards, but mm-hmm. it's still pretty cool to watch it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there was a funny Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson goes to the um, U.S. Embassy in Australia 
and the toilet had a machine that reversed it so that the toilet flushed the American way and not the Australian way. Mm. And to me, that was one of the funniest things when I went, well, when I was in Australia, I was like, I wonder if that device really does exist. <laughs> Although most of our toilets now don't even have any rotation. It's more like they just dump this huge bucket of water almost in there, right? So, you well, know, so that just depends. Water. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it depends. It does depend. But, you know, because Australia is so short on water, we tend to have a lot of water-saving type stuff with, with our plumbing these days. So, you know, toilet technology seems to have gone away from swirling here to just dump a mass volume of water really quickly. But um, anyway, I'm not a hydraulics engineer or whatever, so I'm, I'm sure there's people yeah. that take their toilets very seriously or what we call in Australia a dunny. A dunny. That is awesome. Dunny. I forgot that. I forgot that. That is that – is, thank you for reminding me of what that is. It's a dunny. It's a dunny. All right. So now let's get to ta- asking you a little bit about you. And so um, I have a, gra- a graveyard for buzzwords. And what's one buzzword you'd bury in my graveyard? Look, you, you know what? It's that saying, to be honest. <laughs> That's a new one. That's awesome. I hear this for the last few years daily. Someone will be there and say, to be honest, if we did this, but to be honest. The first thing in my mind, being a cybersecurity person, is, well, what if you were to be dishonest? And why are you even telling me to be honest? That, those lines definitely need to go to the graveyard. Yeah. And I especially, I hate to say it, if you're a salesperson sitting in front of me and go, oh, to be honest, Gray, our technology is going to solve all your problems. See, when, when you said a bunch of lines there that if a salesperson said it, I'd be like, it was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, we'll be in touch if we need anything. I will give. I, I will say that, to be honest, this is the first. I'm going to have to go dig a six-foot grave and create a unique little uh, burial uh, uh, place for to be honest. But yeah. it's, it's a wonderful one um, because – like I use, I have email filters. I, I call, I, I tell a vendor, if you get through my email filters, you would have done four things correctly <laughs> in your email. So that's why I saw it. You didn't use any of my like immediate spam buzzwords, mm-hmm. AI, ML, zero trust, you know, love those. Um, and I've got three more, and I'm not going to share them because I don't want them to know. So they beat them. Like I enjoy not getting 200 emails a day from vendors. Oh, so, same here. And uh, you know, um, my voicemail generally gets full in a day. See, that's you know, awesome. Like, you know what I've done? I set up a Google number. Uh huh. And so I have them call the Google number, and then I always decline. So it goes to voicemail. And then the lovely thing about Google voicemail is Google actually transcribes the voicemail for you. Hey. So I don't have to listen. So it'll be like, 
and and I'll I'll just read the first line. They're like, "Hey James, this is so and so from so and so," and I'm like, "Delete." You know what? You just brought back paging in a modern style. I mean, in my early days as a techie, I loved a pager. You know what? I loved a pager and just buzz and you'd look at it and you'd see the whole message. Yeah. And you're like, do I want to call this person or not? Yeah. Do you remember how cool it was to have a pager on your belt? You're in. I remember my first pager. You're either you're either someone really serious in the finance market, a doctor, or an IT guy. Yep. If you had a pager. Indeed. So Talking about pager technology, what's one technology that will change the way we do cybersecurity? Oh, uh, you know what? I, I, you know, it, it comes up all the time. Um, I don't always like it, but it, it, it's AI. It's artificial intelligence. But real artificial intelligence. I don't want to get into that almost out of time, but real AI, which very few companies have. Real AI. AI. True, True yes. AI. True AI, and it's not here yet, right? So this 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 is where they, if someone says, to be honest, I've got artificial intelligence, then that's why I say that, to be honest. Do you crush them? I crush them with, oh, I crush, I crush them with questions. I go, really? So what's the preliminary um, setup and assumptions that your AI engine uses? And, and this is how you know the difference between AI and machine learning. They'll answer it if they're, if they're, if they're stupid, this is how they answer. If they're smart, they say, I don't really know. Um, and I'll get back to you. And then I can appreciate that because I realized they were trained to say that, that they don't understand what they're saying. But if they go and they say, well, you know, the way we look at it is we start studying your, your, your system. And then we start adjusting. I was like, that's called machine learning. Absolutely. But, but you know what? I think, um, you know, artificial intelligence is, um, Definitely a huge opportunity and definitely a huge opportunity in cyber, um, you know, over time. However, it could end up being our biggest threat. Um, and what I talk mean there is if the wrong folks have got that type of technology too, that can very much be used against us. Um, and, you know, we've seen plenty of Hollywood movies about what could happen with, with AI and when it decides the human race is actually a bad thing and better get rid of us. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, and this is my own personal view, is that some of that tech will need to be controlled just like nuclear weapons and things like that and, and protected appropriately so it's in the right hands and used for good. Um, and, you know, but that's my view. I think, you, you know, the the biggest stuff that we've got looking forward to um, is around that space if we use it right. I mean, let's look. In the, in the last week or so, we've put a new rover on Mars. You know, Talked about that a few hours ago. Yeah. Um, we've got rockets now that can head up in the air um, and come and land on a small platform in the sea so we can reuse them. I mean, this is amazing. It like, is. This is really an amazing future for us. It is. Um, I love that. Great. I, I love, oh my God. I can't wait for March 17th. This is going to be awesome. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait either. But you know so, what? We have some awesome stuff happening. Last book you read. Oh, you or know what? A current book you're reading. A current book. Well, it's, it's going to be the last one. I, 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 I've got a couple on my desk that have, have just arrived in the, in, in the last, last week. But my favorite book is Everything is Effed. Now, obviously, I'm not going to say the whole thing. It's by a guy called Mark Manson, and it was the sequel to The Art of Not Giving an F. Now, the reason I read the 
the first one was everybody on the plane. Um, every time I was commuting um, for a while there, everyone in the plane is reading this big book with, with this orange outside with this profanity written on it. And I'm like looking at it and going, wow, you know, the art of not giving an F, what's that all about? So, you know, I, I bought the first one. I started reading it on my commute just like everyone else was. I felt like I was part of the herd. That was great. Wow, what a great book. What a great book, um, you know, to, to start showing, you know, really where you should give your Fs and where you shouldn't give your Fs. And then that follow-up book, which I read most recently, I love Everything is Effed. Um, really great book. Great for your mental health. Um, as cybersecurity professionals, um, yeah, just a, just a really great, great book. You know, American guy there, Mark Manson, that's been a huge hit in Australia. I don't know if it has over there. Not trying to plug his book or anything like that because I own the book so no. I don't get a copy. But I tell you what, as a cyber professional, oh, that book resonated with me. Just resonated. I love it. Yeah. What's the last movie you saw? Well, actually, it's, it, it's funny. The, the last one I watched in the theatre about a month ago um, you know, because they've all been closed closed here as well, um, is a movie called Penguin Bloom. It's an Australian movie and, um, you know, you know, although sometimes great movies are made over here, we're not necessarily renowned for, um, you know, necessarily making some of our best. And anyway, it, it, it's a story about an Australian lady who was very active and a surfer. True story, by the way. And um, she she had an accident. She became a paraplegic and she she slipped into depression and, you know, she was hev heavily, um, you know, um, you know, I guess disconnecting from society. And um, James, you'd be familiar with this. There's a there's a there's a there's a bird in a in Australia called the magpie. Mm -hmm. This bird is vicious. So anyone that's out there, jump on Google or or your search engine and type in magpie. M A G P I E. This bird in Australia is been relentlessly attacking. Australians since they can walk outside in the springtime. Um, it's a very vicious bird as far as we're all concerned. Um, be, be, don't come to Australia in spring. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> anyway, this she befriends this bird and the bird changes her life. Um, it's a great movie. Um, it, it, if it doesn't rip your heart out and then at the end put it back in and, and then put a smile on your face, I'd be surprised. Penguin, Penguin Bloom. Great Aussie movie. It's not like Croc Dundee and you know, or something like that, but just 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 a great movie about what we as people can achieve even in hardship. You know, to become a paraplegic and then head back another direction. Check it out. Great story. I'll I'll be sure to check it out. What's the la what's your favorite music? Well, you know what? Lately it's been jazz and blues. I um I uh you know, I got back into the vinyl a few years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the first time I, you know what, I bought a bought a record player and I threw the vinyl back down. And, you know, being a techo, I, you know, when CDs come out, as far as I was concerned, you know, hey, digital music, that's the way of the future, all that. I got back into the vinyl and then I'm like, wow, I can actually hear stuff properly again, you know, because, uh, you know, I play drums and I do a bit of sound mixing and, and, and live audio sort of stuff is a bit of a hobby. But um, got into the jazz and blues. But, you know what, I love every type of type of music. But right now, you know, and it actually came from um, there's a TV series called Bosch um, that I that I that I really really love. He, you know, he lives in LA and he's got this view over LA in it, and he keeps playing this jazz and blues sort of music throughout it, and you know some of the greatest hits. And you know what? I look back at that music and I just go, wow. You know, these these folks were just 
fantastic musicians. So just really at the moment loving that jazz and blues, you know? Yeah, music is very seasonal. So oh, it, is. it is, yeah, yeah. It I is. Love it's it. very, very seasonal. Um, awesome. And one last thing before we wrap up today is what's one thing you took away from Solar Winds? Well, you know what? It it, it is that um we as a human race, um, we need to do more, but but this is what we are as a human race. We, we, we try, we fail, we succeed, you know, we learn, we adapt, we improve. I mean, you know, like I said earlier on, we we just put an, another rover on Mars. Um, you, you know, we've, we've mapped out Mars in Google Earth. By the way, that's the coolest view, how you can go now and look at all the photography for the planets in, in, in there. Um, you know, we've got those spaceships that... Um, can can come back and land uh, i mean you know but but in that journey when you when you look at spacex and the others they did have failures in that journey you know um l- luckily it, it hasn't cost any human lives but you know if you look at the nasa program over time there has been some some major tragedies i mean amongst there so you know what well, we've just got to learn um from these things and and, and get better at it and you know, let's we'll talk some more when we talk about supply chain and yeah, yeah, you know, in a yeah, week. on the webinar, big, absolutely. Big, big part of it, right? Big part of this. But you know what? It's, let's learn, adapt. It's, it's it's vendor risk management 101, and the traditional method of doing it is no longer sufficient because um, today, Saita, um, which is one of the largest airline booking systems, also had a supply chain attack that affected, I think, ninety percent of the world's airlines. Mm-hmm. So. Um, this is only going to get worse and not in a way where people should feel discouraged, but in a way where we have to change the way we do it because the way we're doing it right now is just not efficient. And so we'll have Nick on, we'll have Chris Roberts, gray and myself. And in about an hour, we'll try to rain upon every single person attending so much wisdom. Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and you know, even more so too. I did the uh, you know the ancestry DNA test recently, and I know my exact percentage of um, Irish and and other bits, and I'll uh, I'll disclose that on the show as well. I love it, I love it. Great, thank you for coming on the CISO Talk podcast, folks. March seventeenth, three p.m. Eastern time. The link is right below in the show notes, folks. So sign up to the webinar right now. You won't want to miss it. Chris Roberts, Graymeyer Gleaves, Nick Sorensen, and I'll be moderating this esteemed group of panelists as we explore how do we secure the supply chain, share best practices, and talk about vendor risk management as well. Uh, this is all supported by our friends over at Wistic, so thank you to them for helping put this together as well. Folks, we'll be back with another CISO talk next week with a very, very, very special guest, um, Jeff Belkrep, the CISO over at LinkedIn will be joining me on the show, so you won't want to miss it. It's going to be a great episode, so stay tuned. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to share. And most importantly, folks, stay cyber safe. Cheers. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com. 